You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen, amen. Well, let's just bow our heads uh, together as we prepare to pray uh, for uh, the, the preaching and receiving of God's word uh, uh, this morning. I just, I just want to... I just want to ask you just to have just a personal conversation between you and the Lord right now. I I know that there's got to be some people here right now who are in a place that I know I've been before where you want to hear from God and you, you want Him to speak to you And although you may not verbalize this, you also sort of have this understanding of God, I I want you to speak to me, but not about that. And God, here are the the categories of of things that, that you are allowed to speak to, but there are certain struggles, there are certain circumstances, there are certain sins that I'm not prepared to hear from you, Lord, on. And we just sang about, I let go of all that I have to have more of you. And so just right now in the stillness of this moment, reflecting on what you just sang and anticipating about what you're about to hear, is there something right now that you are holding on to? That you are refusing to let go of? And maybe you're afraid, maybe you're afraid that if I let go of it, it, it's something that's fragile. It's something... Uh, it, 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 it could be harmed if, if, I, if I let it go. I could be harmed if I let it go. We need to understand that when we let go of all that we have, we are not just casting it aside. We are casting our burdens onto the Lord. It's going from our hands into his powerful hands. And so just tell him right now. Just tell him whatever it is. You can just whisper it and even just as a or say it quietly to yourself or just even as a sign of your surrender just hold your hands out as though you're, you're letting go of it you are wanting to hear the Lord speak to you in any and every area of your life so that you can fully serve Him and then fully surrender to Him so just do that now So Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we come filled by your Spirit, who we believe is working right now. And God, we want to give you full reign and absolute authority, God. And Lord, we recognize that you already have that, but God, uh, in our hardness sometimes, in our stubbornness, in our foolishness, we think that we can keep things from you, Lord. We pray that you would break down those walls so that we could be fully yours and so that you could be fully ours. And so God, help us, draw us close to you. Be with us now as we we open your word, Lord. We want to hear from you. Lord, we we want to hear whatever you have to say. We want to do whatever you are going to command us to do. So help us and lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. You can open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 if you don't have a Bible or ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now with copies of uh, God's Word. And so open it up to Exodus uh, chapter 3. 
You know, in my sister's house, she has this magnet on her fridge, and it, it sort of catches your eye. It looks like one of those sort of uh, stereotypical home is where the heart is kind of a, a kind of a magnet. But what it says is quite surprising. It says this, raisin cookies that look like chocolate chip cookies are the reason I have trust issues. I don't know if it was caused by cookies or not, but I bet chances are uh, someone here today struggles with trust, has trust issues. And as we've been um, journeying along this series right now called Trusting God for More, you're, you're comfortable with the more part and you believe in God, but it's that first statement, trusting and what we're going to explore today in, in, in the call of Moses is that God is completely comfortable working with people who have trust issues. That he is not put off by it. He's not discouraged by it. He doesn't go and look for someone who's more trusting. No, what we're going to see is Moses is going to lay out five different reasons why he thinks he shouldn't trust God. And in each time that Moses says, I can't, God is going to say, I am. And he is going to fill in that gap between what we think we can do and what God is calling us to do. That gap that can only be filled if we are able to deal with those issues of trust and trusting him for more. So the good news, loved ones, that we're going to learn today is that God works with it works for and works through people with trust issues. That he patiently and lovingly handles all of our objections, our insecurities, our hesitations, our excuses, our stubbornness, our inadequacies. He is able to handle all of those things. So last week we left off with the story of Abraham and how he was called to the promised land and, and how God had promised to bless him and to make him a great nation and that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed and then we followed the story and followed God's faithfulness even in the midst of Abraham's failures and then the miraculous birth of Isaac and then Isaac really followed in the footsteps of his father. He, he failed as well and then Jacob was the worst of them all and, and, and yet God proved to be so faithful. And uh, one of Jacob's uh, sons uh, ends up getting, getting enslaved and taken to uh, Egypt and there he becomes the prime minister. And, and, and we, we see the, the fulfillment of that promise really in the first way. He becomes a blessing to another nation. Here's a descendant of Abraham and he is helping them manage the famine and helping them thrive in the midst of the famine. And not only was he a blessing to one nation, but all the nations around Egypt came there for grain. So we saw the promise get fulfilled. And Jacob arrives there with 70 of his family members. And, and Jacob goes and he meets Pharaoh and he blesses Pharaoh. We begin to see the fulfillment of God's plan and God's promise. But then after Joseph dies and Jacob dies, 400 years go by and God continues to be faithful. The, the nation truly is growing into a great nation, but they're a nation within a nation. The people of Israel, their, their population was exploding, but they were living in Egypt and the Egyptians became suspicious of them and enslaved them. And it, it, it 
The, the oppression of the people got, got so intense that there was actually state-sponsored infanticide where newborn baby boy children were being thrown into the Nile River as a means of population control. And Moses was miraculously rescued. The place of death, the Nile River, was the place where Moses was laid in the reeds. And God miraculously rescued him. He was, he was, he was carried out of the water by, by Egyptian royalty. And he became adopted into that family. Royalty himself. The name Moses means to be drawn out of water. He was brought out of that place of death. And Moses grew up in, in the palace, and yet he never lost touch with his Hebrew heritage. And eventually he became very distraught and burdened by the oppression of his people. And one day he just had enough. He saw one Egyptian man oppressing a, a Hebrew person, and he killed that Egyptian man. And ended up having to flee to Midian as a fugitive. And as we come to Exodus 3 now, it's 40 years later. Moses is now 80 years old. And we'll pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses sees this incredible sight. He sees this bush that is burning, but it's not consumed, and he approaches it. He hears, he hears a voice call his name. He realizes it's God speaking to him in the midst of the bush, so he covers his face. And you've got to imagine the excitement running through Moses' mind. is that God is speaking, and God has seen the oppression of my people, and God is going to finish what I tried to start 40 years ago. He's going to set my people free. And then, so he's, he's getting excited, and then all of a sudden he hears what, what God says in verse 10. Come, I will send you. And then you almost just picture Moses doing this. He's trying to see, if, is, there, is there anyone else in the wilderness right now? Like, you can't possibly mean, you can't possibly mean me. And so Moses responds in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel up out of Egypt. Moses says, I can't. I, I, I'm not the guy. Who am I? He says, I, I'm a nobody. You know, 40 years earlier, Moses would have been like, God, you got your man. 
Moses would have thought, I am connected. I've got, the, I've got the financial resources. I've got the political connections. I've got the energy and the strength. We'll get this done real quick. Moses, back in the day, would have been totally fine taking on a project like this. But the 40 years in the wilderness had humbled him, hadn't it? Living in obscurity. You see, Moses, at this point in his life, was struggling with his identity. He asked the question, who am I? How would you answer that question? Who are you, really? You see, many of us try to, to, to define our identity according to where we sort of belong. And, and for some of us, that's a really hard thing to determine right now. Maybe you're like Moses. Maybe you were born in a different place from where you're presently living or where you lived before and you still don't feel like you quite belong. Maybe there's some awkwardness in your relationships, in your family. Listen, Moses was born a Hebrew, raised in a palace. So he never really felt at home in the palace, but he never really felt like one of his, one of his Hebrew brothers and sisters because he was living in luxury. Now he's in Midian and doesn't fit in at all there. So Moses couldn't find his identity in sort of where he belonged. Others of us try to find our identity based on what we have and what we do for a living and the important job that we have and all the stuff that we gather. Well, Moses was just a simple shepherd. And what did he have? It says that he was shepherding Jethro's flock. They weren't even his sheep. Some of us define ourselves based on our looks and our appearance and how we come across. Now, if Moses had been out in the wilderness for several days on end, how do you think his appearance was at this point? Moses wasn't able to define himself in the ways that so often we identify ourselves. But look at what God says to him in verse 12. He says, I will be with you. You see, we say, I can't, but God says, I am with you. You see, notice how God doesn't, uh, doesn't say, Moses, I'll tell you who you are, and here, here's some good qualities about you. No, no. God doesn't even answer the question. He says, it doesn't matter if you feel like a nobody. The important thing is that I will be with you. You see, healthy self-esteem, healthy self-image, healthy self-confidence comes from knowing God. The reason why we're lacking in all of those areas is because we're trying to fill a void in our lives that is infinite because we were made to be in relationship with God. And so our possessions can't do it, and our work can't do it, and our appearance can't do it, and the approval of others can't do it. We can't feel full. We can't feel fully confident. We can't have that self-esteem that we so long for because we're trying to fill it with something That is finite. But God says, I will be with you. And our relationship with God is what gives us the courage and the confidence. Moses uh, completely understood this. Later on, after the golden calf, after the people sinned and rebelled against God, God said, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you. God says, you know what, I'm going to give you and the people everything you want. All the prosperity, all the security, all the relationships, everything you ever wanted. But I'm not going with you. And look at Moses' response. Exodus 33, 16. Moses said, is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people of the face of the earth? Moses says, listen God, if you're not going with us, we're not going anywhere. Because... All that mattered to Moses was knowing that God was with him. And so God 
hears us when we say, I can't, and then tells us, I am with you. And then he goes on in verse 12. He says, this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. A God right here is giving Moses a vision. He's giving him a vision for what the future will entail. And notice what he, he says, right here, Moses, right here, it's just you and me right now. It's you standing here at the mountain, and this bush is on fire. And God says, picture this, Moses. Picture one day where it's not just you standing at this mountain. The whole nation is going to be standing in liberty and freedom and independence. And they're going to be standing at this mountain. And by the way, right now there's a bush that's on fire. This is Mount Sinai where they are right now. It's not just going to be the bush that's on fire in the future. The whole mountain is going to be on fire with the glory of God. And he gives Moses this sign, this vision of the future. And also notice how he says, you will serve me on this mountain. That, that word serve there refers to worship. He gives him a vision of worship. It wasn't just about political freedom for the people of Israel. It was about rightly living in relationship and worship and awe and wonder to the creator of the universe. It was about worship. And loved ones... There may not be a burning bush here today, but I want to paint a picture for you. I want to give you a vision of the future. I want to give you a picture of really just a few weeks from now, moving into a new facility where hundreds of people can gather together. Why? To worship. Where people driving by on Highway 401 and Highway 407, people coming, continuing to come from Brampton and Mississauga and Georgetown and Milton and all over the place. Why? To worship. The reason why we're moving is because of worship. The reason why we're calling and challenging you to step up and serve is because of worship. The reason why we all need to pray and plan about sacrificial giving is because of worship. To have a vision for what God has in store. God says, I'm with you when we say, I can't. Then in verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses begins by saying, you know, who am I? And God doesn't even answer the question. He just says, well, I'm with you. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter. And then, so then Moses says, well, okay, so I tried to ask, who am I? So now I'm going to ask, well, who are you? If they ask me what your name is, what should I say? God gives the answer, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, that, that might sound initially like God's dodging the question again. Well, just tell us what your name is. What, but when he's saying, I am who I am, he's not saying, you know, I'm not going to tell you my name because later on he says, he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You see, God is, is communicating here that his name actually is a verb. The verb to be is God's name. Why did God choose the verb for existence, the verb to be, why did he choose that for his name? Because God simply is. He always has been. So he's not, I was who I was. It's, I am who I am. It's not, I will be who I will be. It's, I am who I am. I always was, and I always will be. There was a time 
in which, it's funny, you know, I look at my kids, and it's hard for me to imagine, we have four little boys, and, and even our youngest son, Boaz, who's two and a half, it's hard for me to even imagine life before Boaz. But there was a time where there was no Bo. And there was a time when there was no Ted. And, and there's a time for every single person here. There was a, a time where no one knew us, and, and we weren't here. That's why we have birthdays. We celebrate our arrival. But God has no birthday. There was never a time, there's no, there was no pre-God era. He, he was always existent. So that's why he calls himself, I am. And, and if, if we were to define, you know, who we are and, and say, well, you know, I, I am here because of, well, what is causing you to exist? You know, you are here or I am here right now because of oxygen. If there were no oxygen in this room, I would not be here. If there were no sunlight outside, I would not be here. If, 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 if there were no water to drink, I would not be here. There are all of these things that are absolutely fundamental to basic human existence. God has none of those things. God is dependent on nothing. He is, I am. And so God communicates that name. Now look at verse 15. It says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel... The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Underline that phrase, the Lord, and notice how it's written in all capitals. In English translations of the Bible, every time you see L-O-R-D in all capitals, there should be a footnote in your Bible there, that is, I am. So every time God uses his name, which is the verb for existence, English translators use L-O-R-D. Now this is not something that English translators just made up and decided to do. Your friendly neighborhood Jehovah's Witness would try to convince you that there's some sort of conspiracy against God's name. That's not true. In fact, when the Hebrew scribes were translating the Old Testament into Greek before Christ, they, rather than trying to translate YHWH, those Hebrew uh, characters that make up I am, and which no one pronounced, they actually used the Greek word for Lord. So the English translators are following on a, trans, a, a, a tradition of translating God's name that goes back centuries, long before the English language ever existed. And so... When you see L-O-R-D in all capitals, that is God's personal name. I am that I am. God says in, at the end of verse 15, This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac. And, now why does he keep saying Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? That's like the third time he's mentioned that. Well, Jesus actually makes reference to this in Mark uh, chapter 12, verse 26 and 27. Jesus was having a conversation with the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. That's the reason why the Sadducees were so sad, you see. So Jesus says, as for the dead being raised, which you don't believe in, he says, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus says, he is not the God of the dead, 
but the God of the living. You see, God says, I am. And I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's not simply referring to his past, that he used to be their God. No, he's saying, I presently am still their God. There is life after death. And Jesus points to to this very story to prove that there is life after this life. Verse 16 continues, it says, Has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you in what has been done in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So God gives Moses one speaking assignment. He says, you've got to go and talk to the people of Israel. You've got to go back to Egypt, gather all the Hebrews together, and relay that message. Then verse 18, he says what will happen. And they will listen to your voice. He says, they'll listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God because it's all about worship. So speaking assignment number one, go to the Hebrew people. Tell them God has spoken. Then speaking assignment number two is bring the elders of the Hebrew people, bring them before Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's not going to listen. He says in verse 19, but I know the king of Egypt will not let you go. Why does God say that? Why does he clarify that ahead of time? This is absolutely important and we need to understand this. That just because resistance or opposition comes as God's plan is being fulfilled does not mean that God has abandoned us. So God tells Moses ahead of time, listen, it's not going to be easy. I know that the Pharaoh, the Egyptians, they are not going to let you go. And he says, unless compelled by a mighty hand. Moses is looking at his 80-year-old hands, and God clarifies. Verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand. I will stretch out my hand and, and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Verse 21, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who gives, who, sorry, who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God says, I know the Egyptians, at first there's going to be so much opposition. They refuse to let you go. But God's going to do such an act of incredible power. His mighty hand is going to turn the situation so supernaturally that in the end, they're going to send you off with a credit card and a shopping spree. You're going to be telling all your friends about this great haul that you got out of Egypt. And, and, God is, is displaying his incredible power. But look how Moses responds in verse chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Moses is in a really precarious situation right here. And I know, I, I know, I know how precarious it is, how dangerous it is, because I've been there as well. Look at what Moses says in chapter 4, verse 1. They will not believe me or listen to my voice. Look back at what God promised in chapter 3, verse 18. God said, and they will listen to your voice. It's a really dangerous place to be where you hear God say something and then you think you know better. It's a really dangerous place to be to lean on your own understanding 
and acknowledge your own ways and follow your own crooked path rather than trusting in the Lord. But God is so kind and so patient, even though Moses is refusing to trust, even though he's saying, no, I know you're saying that will happen, God, but it can't happen that way. This is how it's going to happen. Moses goes on to say, they will... They will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now Moses, I mean, he's got to be concerned. I mean, the story's a little crazy. The only witnesses are sheep. And he's picturing them trying to piece together his story. So you saw a bush. And it was on fire, but not on fire. It was burning, but not burned. And then the bush started talking. Like he's, he's anticipating that. The other thing that he's worried about when he says, they, notice how he says, they won't listen to me. The last words Moses heard before he fled to Midian, after he killed the one Egyptian guy, he thought he covered it up. And then he was trying to solve a, a dispute between two Hebrew people. And what did they say to him? Who made you prince and ruler over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? They all knew he was a murderer. And would, would God really appear to someone that, that, that has murdered someone like that? God would not listen. We're not going to listen to you. God wouldn't speak to you. He wouldn't appear to you. So Moses had this, had this fear that he would be rejected. But God tells him, Moses says, I can't because they won't listen. But God says, I am powerful. I am powerful. I will make them Listen as you trust me. So then God gives these three signs. In, in, in verse 2, the Lord says to him, a, what is your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Now that's just crazy, okay? First of all, don't ever touch a snake. I know some people think it's fun and kids are chasing guards. Just don't do it. It's not a good idea. But if you are going to touch a snake, grab it near the head. I mean, even me, who would never, ever touch a snake, if I had to choose, I would, I would, I would grab it near the head. Why? Because you grab it near the tail, you're inviting it to turn around and bite you. And so Moses here is being challenged to place himself in the most vulnerable of positions, again, to demonstrate that God is powerful. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, and he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak, So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now, before we get to verse 8, you can can guess that God's heard a lot of excuses so far. So he's just anticipating that now. So we get to verse 8. Moses is about to open his mouth and say, but, verse 8, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, then they will believe the latter sign. And he's waiting for another, well, but, 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 verse 9. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So God gives Moses these three powerful signs. Well, there's a lot of 
um, a talk about the, the symbolism behind the signs. You know, first of all, a snake, you know, on the headdress, the, the, the crown of, of the pharaoh, you know, all the excavations, all the archaeology, every, with, uh, as these tombs, these pyramids are uncovered on every headdress. What, what's right there, right above the head of the pharaoh? It's a, it's a snake, it's a serpent, isn't it? And the, 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 the leprosy, the, 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 the transformation of healing and, and illness pointing forward to the, uh, to the plagues. And then the Nile becoming blood. The Nile had been a place of blood, hadn't it? That was the place where all of those innocent, tiny, infant babies were being thrown to drown. It was a place of blood. And it was going to be a sign of judgment on the people of Egypt. So God tells Moses, I am powerful. And, and loved ones, what's our sign? Our sign is an empty tomb. Our sign is a risen Savior. And our sign is lives, lives transformed by the power of God. Starting right here and then working our way through every row and every chair, there is a testimony of the power of God. I used to be this way. And God had me put my hand in my cloak and, and now I'm this way, I have been changed. I have been transformed. I grabbed the snake by its tail. And God has done amazing things in my life. God is powerful. But Moses isn't done with his excuses. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So Moses says, I can't. I can't because I can't speak. I'm not eloquent. And when, when we say I can't, God says, I am your creator. God says, I, I'm aware that you think you can't speak. I made you that way. I made every mouth. I made the mouths that talk. I made the mouths that are mute. I made the eyes that see. I made the eyes that are blind. God says, whatever you think is holding you back, whatever struggle or circumstances is, means that you can't fulfill God's plan, God says, I'm already aware of that. And I've chosen you for that specific purpose. Also, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen when he's giving his incredible sermon to the, to the Sanhedrin before he becomes the first martyr, he kind of pulls the rug out from under Moses because Moses is saying this I'm not eloquent thing. Look at what Stephen says about Moses. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. Take that, Moses. And just by the way, if you're trying to prove to someone that like oral communication is not your gift, you shouldn't use a word like eloquent. Like stick, you know, stick to something. I don't, I don't do the talking good, right? That would be, that would be more, uh, more effective. God says, I'm your creator. Moses, I know that you're insecure about that. I know that you feel inadequate in that way. But I, I created you. And I will teach you what to say. It all goes back. Listen, if you're going to remember anything, just remember the first point. I am with you. When we say I can't, God says I am with you. God says I'll be with you. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what you should say. And then we get some refreshing honesty from Moses in verse 13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. See, at the end of the day for Moses, it wasn't about oral communication. It wasn't about his past. 
It wasn't about the fact that he's a nobody. It wasn't about the, the you know, it wasn't clear on what God's name was. All of that was really just a smokescreen for this one truth. Moses just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to put himself out there. He didn't want to take the risk. He didn't want to trust. So he said, I can't. And when we say, I can't, God says, I am your provider. I am your a provider. Look at how God responds. Verse 14, it says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now you're probably reading that thinking, okay, finally God, you know, God's had enough, right? I mean, four excuses, and now Moses just says, I, I, so God's finally, he's just lost his patience. He put up with it for a little while, but of course now God's just lost it. Now he's just irritated with Moses. Well, listen, he's not irritated with Moses. He's not frustrated with Moses. He's not impatient with Moses. You see, God exists outside of time. With a day, it's like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. So it's impossible for God to be impatient. He exists outside of time. You see, I get very impatient because I have, I, I'm finite and I, I live within the constraints of time and space. And so if I feel like I'm running out of time or something's taking too long, then I get angry. I get upset, don't I? But that's, that's not the case for God. Furthermore, when we get angry, we get angry because things aren't going our way. You know, you, you, you tell your child to do something and they don't do it. You, you try to get your computer to do something and it won't do it. You, 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 you get frustrated because you want things to go a certain way and it won't. You're, you, you want the pipe to stop leaking and water just keeps coming. And you get angry. You're frustrated because you want things to go your way. But here's the thing about God. Everything always goes his way. So he's not angry like he's going to lose Moses here. Like in two verses, he's going to say, now pick up your stick and go to Egypt. So where is God's anger coming from? Well, we know where it's coming from. It's coming from his holiness. And it's, it's but how can God be, be a loving God and also be angry? What's going on here? Well, his, he can be a loving God and also be angry if we understand that his anger actually flows from his love. And in, in, in this particular case, he's angry at Moses. Why? Because he loves Moses. And he knows Moses is settling for less. He, he has a great vision, a great plan for Moses. And Moses just keeps saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And so God is angry. Not because he's irritable or frustrated. But because he's a God of love. And he's Moses' provider. Look, look, look what he says. Verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well, and so can you, Moses, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. So God sends Aaron. Now, if you're just giving a cursory re reading of the story, it sounds like Aaron is plan B. That God only wanted Moses to do this, but then Moses kept complaining and kept making excuses and kept saying, I can't. So God eventually got angry and frustrated and said, okay, fine, I'm going to send your brother with you too. But read the, read the text carefully. 
in the middle of verse 14 there, talking about Aaron, it says, I know that he can speak well. Then it says, behold, he is coming. Aaron was already on his way. Aaron was not plan B. Aaron was always part of the original plan. God was already planning on providing what Moses thought he needed. And the amazing part of the story is, is yeah, Aaron shows up and Aaron does a little bit of talking at the beginning. But after that, you can't keep Moses quiet. He's storming into the palace demanding meetings with Pharaoh. You hardly ever hear from Aaron. But God is a loving provider. And so when you think about, oh, I, well, what does it mean for me to trust God with more? And you're, maybe you're thinking like Moses, please send someone else. You know, we're going to need more volunteers in this new space. Well, the, someone else is going to have to do that because I don't have time. And we're going to have to give sacrificially. Well, that, that, that someone else can, can give to that because I, I, don't have, I don't have resources. Listen, God will provide. God will provide the time. God will provide the finances. We need to step out. We need to trust him. Here's also the amazing thing. God called Moses to do something huge, didn't he? But he didn't call him to do it alone. And as, as we think about what God has in store for us, we need to remember that we're not doing this on our own. We are doing this in the context of a promise that God has promised to go with us and that we are going together, that we are errands for one another, that we can provide the support and the encouragement that's needed in order to fulfill what God has called us to. And loved ones, the great news is that God is the kind of God who sends errands into our lives. And loved ones, God has sent someone far greater than Aaron. And he sent someone far greater than Moses. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And as we think about God saying all of these things, you know, I am with you and I am that I am and I am powerful. I am your creator. I am your provider. Jesus kept saying, I am, I am, I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And then in one particular moment, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He simply used the, the name YHWH. He used that verbal form. He used God's personal name to say who he was. He said, well, I mean, I am, I mean, maybe he just meant to use the verb. Maybe he wasn't using the name. Well, look at how people responded when he said that. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because they thought he was a mere man. And if he was a mere man saying, I am, then he was committing blasphemy. But Jesus was not a mere man. He was God in the flesh. And in the same way that God told Moses, I am with you. Jesus came as Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and I am that I am is right there on uh, the screen. I am powerful. Jesus performed powerful miracles. I am creator. He upholds, he created, and he sustains the universe, upholding it by the word of his power. And I am your a provider. Jesus provided a way for us to relate rightly to God. You know, I'm reading through the Gospels right now in my own personal devotions. There's so many parallels between the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. Their, 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 their births happened around similar circumstances it, with, with the evil of a ruler executing infant children. It happened in Moses' day. It happened in Jesus' day. The signs and the miracles the, the, the period of time in Egypt, the period of time in the wilderness, all of, these, all of these themes line up as you think about Moses, as you think about Jesus. 
And then Moses went into the nation of Egypt and, and pronounced judgment with all of these signs, these plagues. And the first plague, the first sign was water into blood. And Jesus came not merely to one nation, but he came to the whole world. And he gave signs too. And his first sign involved water. Not water into blood as a sign of judgment, but water into wine as a sign of celebration. Saying, I am God in the flesh and I have come. I have come to this wedding to invite you to that ultimate wedding in the book of Revelation. And then the last sign that Moses gave as a sign of judgment in Egypt was was the death of the firstborn child of all of the people of Egypt. Unless the blood of the lamb was over their doorposts, all of those firstborn die. And in Jesus, his last sign was the death of the only begotten son. That his sacrifice, and he was that, that Passover lamb, he suffered and died on the cross. Why? So that we could know and trust and love and relate to the God who created us. And so we can come with all of our I can'ts. I can't, I can't, I can't. And God is patient with us. And God has provided for us. And he has provided his son so that we can say what Philippians 4.13 says. There may be a lot of I can'ts in our lives, but when we view whatever we're facing through Jesus Christ, rather than saying I can't, we can now say I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so now we're going to prepare our hearts. We're going to prepare our hearts and remember Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. We're going to take, we're going to take a cup and we're going to take bread and we're going to remember Christ's blood. We're going to remember his body that God provided for us to be a sacrifice for our sin. And so let's, let's pray that God would meet with us now as we uh, commune with him. And so Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who is completely comfortable with, with handling all of our excuses or all of our hesitations, all of our fears, all of our failures, all of our insecurities and inadequacies. Thank you that you are faithful over all of that. And thank you, God, that you have made a way for us to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, thank you that we can be forgiven for our sins. Thank you that when Christ hung and bled on the cross, that he was taking the punishment for all of our evil thoughts, all of our evil words, all of our evil actions. And God, right now we want to remember that the suffering that he went through for us, we also want to repent of our sin, God. And we want to rejoice in the, re, in the reality of the forgiveness that is made possible through the cross. And we look forward, God, as we eat and drink right now, we look forward to eating and drinking with you in the new heavens and the new earth. And so, God, I ask that you would meet with us right now. Be present here. Draw us close to you, God. Make us so aware of our sin, but make us even more aware of your amazing grace. So lead us, God. May your kindness lead us in repentance. And, and, and may repentance and the affirmation of forgiveness lead us to joy, God. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.